0: My name is Brandon Boy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, very,
1: very, very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage.
2: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: Hello, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border, coast to coast, and all the ships at sea. Streaming live from the County of Kings, Brooklyn, New York City, on the Heritage Radio Network. Are you ready for the fastest half hour on the internet today? It's the Mike and Judy Show! Spanning the globe for high-minded hijinks and low-brow kicks to bring you the best in sex, drugs, rock and roll, and nuclear fission. Too bad for radio, and too good looking for television. And now, here they are, to pluck the low-hanging fruit of the literati, your hosts Mike Edison and Judy McGuire. Hi Judy. (laughs) Happy (laughs) April 21st, Mike. Yeah, how's 420 for you? I know it's your favorite day of the year.
3: Well, I was at a viewing, so it wasn't oh, that fun. <laughs> A good friend oh, of mine died at this week, um, Bob Morales. He was an editor at Vibe for a while. He was a comic book writer, music writer, and... Uh Died on my birthday last
1: week, so it's uh, been a it's been a grim week. I'm really I'm terribly sorry about that, Bob. Maybe I have a present for you for 420. Oh, Maybe I hope I it's a Judy. big doobie. Uh, well, I know you don't smoke pot, Judy, and um, we're going to talk about uh, 420 in a second because apparently I've been the target of an internet uh, flame war. Do they still call it that? Um, from that thorn in our paw, Steve Hager, that diluted all tie that I fuck. I think oh, he I named
3: thought. Phoenix, his Native American name, even but, though he's from
1: Chicago. But I think you like white. this present. This is uh, no, it's not actually it's not a you it's for your kitties oh this is is some seriously strong catnip oh Um, that's what a woman with three cats need from our friends at catnip farms uh erica Erica wild girl uh it sure is so here it's some of the kind bud and let me tell you i gave some of that to my cat jeepster and after he he snorted a little bit, he burned his draft card. Okay? <laughs> so go easy on this. It's Yeah, she's going to be
3: burning her bra, whatnot. It's going to be crazy. So yesterday,
1: 420, for those not in the know, though I can't imagine anybody so far removed, uh, 420 is International Stoner Day. And 420, the story behind 420... Um, Goes to once upon a time, there were some deadheads called the Waldos that was sort of their name for themselves, just sort of like some stoner clowns who met every day at four twenty in the afternoon because that 's when school was over, and it became their thing and they said let 's meet at the statue of Louis Pasteur by their high school at four twenty and uh, I guess Steve Bloom um, Another old friend of ours, emphasis on old, <laughs> um, Grandpa Simpson Bloom, who nice. who had discovered this old Grateful Dead poster that said 420 and put it in high times and it caught on to the, to the culture, whereas Steve Hager sort of co-opted this and decided he was going to be the man behind 420 and tried to brand it. And, and only a to on a, a really re-
3: idiotic pothead
1: would this matter at all. It would. Well, the crazy thing. So yesterday, I, I start getting these crazy emails saying Edison hates hippies which um, is not true because I am the king of the hippies, as you know. And 420 yesterday, I was listening to Astro Weeks and smoking a joint. <laughs> I've been known to throw a, hip- a throw a frisbee. I've been known to throw a hippie, too, for that matter. Um, but anyway, we got into this, this, this flame work. Hager says, he, he's, he's, that, um, I, you know, I'm deluded and I hate hippies. My favorite line of this big rant, he goes, I've only wanted to be known as a journalist until I got my license as an alchemist. And he is now selling $350 sets of candles on Amazon that help you with your telepathic powers, his, of course, which are amazing.
3: Maybe he should have used those telepathic powers to find out his wife was cheating on him in his bed. Ooh, ooh! Ooh!
1: Snap! You know, you know, Hager's just the worst sort of person. And the whole thing is, he goes on this whole rant about his opening the, the chakras with his seven magic candles and his, um, you know, mind-opening potency tea, and uh, well, he's one of the worst sorts of fucking hypocrites. Um, and then he Allegedly. says, you know, and then 420, which is, you know, I'm cool with it, I'm down with it, you know how I am. I'm like kind of anti-slacker, but I'm pro-pod as far as it goes. Um, and the Stoner Holiday, which he has co-opted to be the International Day of Peace based on like, a bunch of kids getting fucked up after school. Um, so now, um, I believe there's world peace, thanks to Stephen Hager. Thank you, Steve Hager. We should get to our guest, who is not for world peace. <laughs> we will. I just... Um, the best part of the whole story, though, to end it, though, is Hager ends... It's people like Edison make parody, parodies of hippies, and they need to stop... I think Steve Hager. Yeah. And the next line was, buy buy my seven candles for $350. (laughs) So there is life after high times, Judy. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) I am so excited about our guest today. Let's move quickly from hippies to punk rock and beyond.
3: Our guest today is a music writer, not music writer, all-around writer, author, Michael Azerrad. He's written features for Rolling Stone, The New Yorker, New York Times,
1: written... Three books. A certified classic, Our Band Could Be Your Life. A very uh, wonderful and important book.
3: Yeah, and he has a new venture, The Talk House. Hey, Michael, thanks for coming.
1: Hi, Judy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Anytime. It's, it's good to see you here because that band was my life. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, there was a book about a time that I um, was, you know, getting the van.
4: Well, that was a very, a very formative uh, bunch of bands, you know, um, who uh, seem to have influenced even the bands, you know, today. It, it lives on.
1: Absolutely so. Well, specifically that book, I mean, it was about uh, the Butthole Surfers and the Minutemen and, and who else? Black Flag. Yeah. Who I see are playing again, right? They're coming back around some uh, version. Uh, some per, version of Black Flag.
4: Yeah, uh, Permutation of Black Flag, yeah. Are there yeah. two versions of Black uh, Flag? Yeah, there are actually two, yeah. Two, yeah. yeah perm- I think the word is permutations. It's got uh, a couple of members of, of the band in each version. Like, Greg Ginn has one. And
3: Keith Morris has the other?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think that's how it's working, yeah. I can't remember exactly. But well, yeah, there's one's called Flag and one called... Once called Black, <laughs> I can't remember something Well, like you know, that. I think there was a time when there were
1: probably 17 different versions of the Drifters playing in America at any given time. Right, right. <laughs> so
4: this is just uh, the Drifterization of Black Flag.
1: <laughs> and um, the current version of Blood, Sweat and Tears has no original members and claims it to be the best lineup of all time.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's their opinion. You can't dispute that.
1: Well, why, 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 why is Black Flag so popular again? Why do we, I mean, and, and and how's Mudhoney doing? I see they put on a record and Omar comes around and mm-hmm. does it. I think, um, but is there is there life after 1980s rock and roll? I mean, these bands were very formative. It was a very good creative time, sort of past the hardcore thing that was happening in the early 80s when people got to stretch out a little bit more and mm. um, open up their influences and, you know, all of a sudden became okay to like Black Sabbath.
4: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think, uh, I mean, this this Black Flag, you know, resurgence, I don't know, maybe it has something to do with the regular pendulum swings of... Of pop music, you know, a few years ago, you had some pretty genteel stuff being very, very popular—the so-called NPR rock of Grizzly Bear and St. Vincent and stuff like that—and now the pendulum is swinging the other way. You have Japan droids and the the completely awesome, killer, great sounds of Mets and uh, the Men, and you know uh, all kinds of bands uh, who are rocking pretty hard, and it just seems like a, a reaction to what came before it, as usual in pop music. And Black Flag is, you know, kind of a, a classic example of that the kind Grand of The
3: Grampies of them, yeah. Were you a Black Flag uh, fan, Judy? You oh, my were, God, I mean, love Black Flag. You
1: were such a hardcore punk rocker back in the day, yeah?
3: Yeah, oh, yeah, I saw Black Flag a million times. Never before um, Henry, but because I'm so young. But, yeah, I saw Black Flag a million times.
1: I like, I like those bands. I like Black Flag. I like the Circle Jerks very much and the Bad Brains. Yeah. Um, very much, and of course, I had uh, worked with uh, Reagan Youth, and we'd played with those guys like, many times. Um, they were on the Black Sabbath tip early. Very early on the Black Sabbath. Well, Black Flag, I mean, that was part of the whole thing. That was Greg's thing, right? Part of it, anyway, was a love of Black Sabbath.
4: Uh, yes, also, but though a, a big part of it also was his love of the Grateful Dead, who he'd seen <laughs> scores of times before Black Flag even started.
1: And I'm so glad you brought that up, because hippie than I am, I've seen the Grateful Dead many more times than I've seen Black Flag. Um... But, you know, there was a time, and I think in the 80s, when we started the band Sharky's Machine, because we liked the Grateful Dead, we liked Hank Williams, we loved Frank Sinatra, um, Elvis Presley, and, and Little Richard, a lot of roots rock. But we were also very under the sway of Motorhead and the Bad Brains and the Stooges and the MC5, of course, you know, to be that kind of aggressive. And to the people we were playing for, there was a hard line being drawn. We opened up for Henry Rollins one time, and that was when they stopped booking us in front of bands that played a little bit more rock and roll as a part hardcore, hmm. because it was very, very polarized. Later, um, with Nirvana, as as you know, they may not have been the start of it, but it was okay to play a ballad in front of a punk rock audience. You could put it over, and that was a very important shift that I think happened throughout, um, you know, Our Band Could Be Your Life. I mean, that's sort of, to me, that's part of it, is things that are opening up, because if you look at the bands in that book, they don't really have that much artistically in common.
4: Um, No, and that was one of the beautiful things about the early days of that indie punk scene, is that it it was more about... Uh, the the freedom to make whatever music you wanted and the infrastructure that people built so that music could be recorded and distributed and heard and seen and after a while it just kind of got codified and and people's idea of punk rock became you know whatever Green Day sounds like
1: but well, what is punk
4: rock can
1: someone explain it to me I've, I've you know been a self described punk rocker since I hit air but what
4: the fuck does it even mean I think I, I think it's it's an approach it's not a sound it's an approach it's like uh it's it's it's, it's just Playing what you feel like and and not caring and just doing it and and working really hard to make it heard and see what seeing what happens.
1: Also, it can be quite good though. Lots of lots of great musicians play punk rock, which is what a lot of great musicians won't acknowledge either.
4: Yeah, yeah, but that the 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 goodness or badness I think is irrelevant. It's just it's it's a it's an approach. It's like you can be a punk rock string quartet
0: mm-hmm.
4: and some you know play. Bach and all that stuff. But you, you, it's, it's how you approach things. It's making an end run of, around the powers that be and the, the usual ways of doing things so you can achieve what you want to achieve. Would you describe your new project,
1: Talk House, as
4: uh, being in that vein? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, actually, I don't think the Talk House is very punk rock. <laughs> I gotta admit. The Talk House is um, the smartest, you know, most notable musicians, um, you know, we can find uh, writing about currently released albums. So, You know, it's people like Laurie Anderson or Duff McKagan, Um, Winston Marshall from uh, Mumford and Sons just wrote something on Friday. Uh, You know, and people from Parquet Courts and uh, Ben Ben Greenberg from The Men wrote something. Um, All kinds of people all over. Vijay Iyer, the acclaimed jazz pianist, wrote something. Dave Douglas, the amazing jazz trumpeter, wrote something. People from all over the spectrum.
3: How do you get them to sit down and write? Like, I I got a lot of musicians (laughs) to be in my book, and I ended up just being on the phone with them or going back and forth over email and doing a lot of transcribing.
4: Uh Uh-huh. Well, a lot of it is uh, pre-selection. I kind of know who can write. Mm -hmm. Uh, Right now, Buzz Osborne from the Melvins is writing about the new Iggy album, Iggy and the Stooges album. And uh, I I just know that he's a smart guy. I've known him for 20 years. I know he can write. Um, I knew Laurie Anderson could write. Obviously, well, yeah, they're just yeah. people who are just—you um, just get a sense of it and, it, and it works out. At first, I was really worried. I, I thought getting musicians to turn in things on time would be like, you know, the proverbial herding of cats.
3: Yeah, that's what I would think.
4: But they're actually—you know—there's like, you know, there's the new paradigm. Musicians are used to being a little bit more on it now because of. Frank, you know, to, to turn it back to our bank of beer life to this necessity of having to be on it and doing things yourself and not being, you know, what Mike Watt once called the princeling, someone who's just doted on and lazy and, and overindulged Like you have to work can you imagine
1: I mean our band could be your life can you imagine all those hours that we spent in the van in those years if we had smartphones, I mean we did those <laughs> tours without the internet without any social media without even a fucking cell phone to tell you how to get to the gig I mean how many times did we pull up in some town and we're around the corner from the venue you know and just going around circles because we couldn't find it and a simple phone call you know would have ended it or to be in the van and everybody posting you know and taking pictures of where you are and American oddities and sharing life on the road Defer- definitely a different dynamic
4: yeah but still Still, yeah, but that, that diligence uh, that, that you made had that scene it, happen. You,
1: you had to want it fucking bad back then. Yeah. I mean, seriously, the barrier to entry was, was very high. Recording studios were expensive and difficult to use. Um, you know, It wasn't like we all could do things on our laptops. I mean, it was far from it. I mean, it was tape and it was expensive. And I mean, it, things got better quickly. Um, and what's nice is people like Black Flag had, you know, the Sex Pistols and some bands behind them. The seventh, this late, you know, the last great seventies punk rock bands to build on. The bands of the nineties had all the great bands of the eighties to build on. And of course, it became easier. But at the time, if you wanted someone to get to your gig, I mean, how many nights, you know, did I come home covered in like glue because I was out pasting up crap in the East Village?
4: Right. And I think there was kind of a virtue made of how difficult it was. And now that it's easy, it doesn't count anymore. But the whole idea of the, of all that work and the blood, sweat and tears of those indie rock years in the late 70s and 80s was so that it could be easy to make your own kind of music. And uh, that succeeded. You know, people, uh, Deerhoof, Deerhoof just made their own album cover using uh, a cell phone camera. <laughs> and that is the triumph of DIY right there. That is so beautiful. And things like that happen all the time. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in some sort of state of grace right cool. now, I think, with indie music.
1: Why not? I mean, you can make, a great,
4: you can make great art with your
1: iPhone. There's no question about yeah. it. The problem, I think, is that everyone ha- has the same tools and thinks they can make great right. art. Because they can post it, because they can take a picture, they think they're a yeah. photographer. And, you know, the problem is, um, as Andy Chernoff once said to me, is punk rock one. And and now we're really suffering because DIY, you know, it really did sort out um, the wheat from the shaft a little bit. If you weren't dedicated, you had to get out of the game. It was just too hard to do it. Now it's very easy and um, the the good, I mean, not that people aren't making great work. People are recording great stuff, I'm sure, on their iPhones and on their laptops and making great, very quick digital work. But there's so much of it, it's getting harder and harder to to flesh it out.
4: And the, the same thing has happened with music writing. Now everyone has a blog and a Twitter account and all this stuff, and you know there's a whole bunch of really mediocre stuff to, to slog through, and that that was another actually inspiration for the Talkhouse is that well if we get really inherently interesting people, Duff McKagan writing about Kiss, you know, or Ema uh, uh, Ema writing about uh, this German singer Annika, uh, or Dave Douglas writing about wayne shorter or elliot sharp writing about richard thompson blah blah blah. that's just going to be inherently interesting and worthwhile and so that's the uh, part of the idea of the talk house is to kind of get around that that creeping mediocrity of uh, of diy i, I, I really enjoyed duff spit on
1: kiss it <laughs> yeah. was i mean there was no epiphany there except yeah. for the you know and of course he was sitting next to gene simmons on an airplane so there's mm-hmm. access which we don't have yeah but the tone of the piece was i'm a fan i like this mm-hmm. he wasn't you know, deconstructing it. It was just very enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. It was written by someone who could easily be cynical, but there was an optimism to it. And I, and I, and I like that because I think that's missing from a lot of, you know, journalism is just, hey, I like it. I'm a fan. Right. You know, yeah. I, we're not trying to over-intellectualize this bullshit. I mean, it's Kiss.
4: Right, right. But it's inherently <laughs> interesting that Duff it's McKagan... It's Kiss in
1: 2013.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Duff McKagan is saying that. And that's, that's just kind of cool and great. And the other thing is, I mean, you get a sense of the record from his piece, but you also get a sense of Duff. And Duff turns out to be quite an articulate and likable fellow. And I think it's, I don't know, I really enjoyed that piece a lot. I thought it was really sweet.
3: He contributes to the Seattle Weekly where I'm... Oh, he's your colleague. He, yeah, he's my colleague who won't answer my emails, but he's still my colleague. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, now can you get Duff to write to date, girl? You know, no. Judy does a I column. think he
3: doesn't really need my help, but... But in his
1: line of work, I bet he knows plenty of people who do.
3: But, <laughs> so speaking of stuff like... Th- being fans, what are we going to hear, Michael? This is our mid- midway break. You picked the song or the band. Tell us about them.
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I, yeah, I picked uh, Parquet Courts, who I actually saw last night at the Bowery Ballroom on a great bill with uh, White Lung and Ice Age and uh, some German band called Burial, Not not the... Electronic Artist Burial But this other German You got that, Judy,
3: Not to be confused With the other burial Yeah, yeah <laughs> I love the other burial So I'm a little yeah. <laughs> I feel but, good uh, that I didn't miss them Yeah, All right. yeah Parquet
4: the- Courts are really They're just a great Brooklyn band All right, really well It's uh,
1: Joe the Engineer Please give uh, Parquet Court a spin It's the Mike and Judy Show Here's Michael right On the Heritage Radio Network three, two, three.
2: Network.org is a member-supported nonprofit organization. If you like what you're listening to, go to our website and click that Donate button. Become a member and get special discounts, invites, VIP treatment, T-shirts, and more. Support us in our mission to bring you the freshest food content in the nation.
1: I love the voice of Jack midway through. <laughs> well, it is very important. We do need members. You know, Judy, if I had five members, my pants would feel like a glove.
3: Oh, God. I think you've <laughs> told me that joke
1: before, Jackie. Every, opp- every opportunity. It's so hard to segue into that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yesterday, not only was it 420, it was Record Store Day. Record Store
4: Day. I know. Um, I What'd believe- you buy, Michael? I, I bought um, nothing. I went on a hike in the woods for several hours.
3: Where I- did you go in the woods? See, Central
1: Park? Back
4: to the garden. See, Michael's after my- a man after my own heart. Back to the garden. Yeah, yeah. See, back
1: into the woods yeah escape from all this the Michigas of the rock and roll and the industrial
4: corporate music complex that's right sometimes you just need to clear your head <laughs>
1: that's right that's right clear yeah. your head yeah so, jo- with a, with jo- a nice with a nice jazz
4: record for instance judy Ugh. i have I have too many records as it is
3: I'm sure you do your floors <laughs> must be creaking
1: well, well, we were talking before a little bit about um how music journalism has been so diluted and how you know difficult it is, um but also the market being saturated. you have too many records um Used to be putting out a record was a big fucking deal. I mean, when I put out my first record, was like people stood around and oohed and ahed at the black plastic. We were very special in our, our little group because we had a record. Mm. You know, it's not not like that anymore, any of course. Um, and music journalism—how? I mean, how are you going to differentiate yourself? I know you can have musicians writing, mm. which which is great, but there is so much out there. How are we going to bring attention to your to your website? What's the business model for this? Because it's just so so overwhelming right
4: now, the internet. Well, it's it, it, the Talkhouse, uh, which is the website that I edit that we're talking about here, um, uh, has taken off like a shot, and I think that people are really curious to hear musicians talking about current albums. It's just, uh, it's, it's kind of unheard of. And, uh, I think, like I say, I think it's, it's just inherently interesting to people and how you get heard above the din is the notoriety of the musicians themselves. It, I, I can't even explain why it's working, but it, it is. We, well, we're, we're, we're incredibly popular and, publicists and musicians come to me every day asking, can I? Can we write for the talk house? So something is going right and I, I wish I could actually explain to you why, uh, but I think it's just inherently interesting.
3: Do you ever, I mean, the stuff I've read has been overwhelmingly positive. Do you ever have anybody slam anything?
4: Um, we do, but the, the the idea of these pieces isn't actually to be, you know, either thumbs up or thumbs down. Uh-huh. I, 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 I explicitly Tell our writers not to think of them as reviews and themselves not as critics. Yeah, they write about it from a musician's perspective, and so there's an inherent, I think, you know, respect for any other musician who has taken the time to record, write and record music. Um, they're putting themselves, you know, into this thing in a, a very profound way. Even if you don't like the music, a fellow musician will respect that. So there's right. a certain baseline respect. and they pick
3: the records right and they pick the records yeah
4: um so it's obviously something that they're interested in in writing about but you know i'm very strict about you know no conflict of interest if you know this band you can't not can't write about them if you have the same manager or label or whatever you cannot write about them so it's just stuff that they're interested in sometimes it's indifferent um or negative. Um, Dapwell from uh, used to be in Dos Racist wrote quite a blistering uh, takedown of Wiz Khalifa's <laughs> uh, record recently, um, and we've we've had s- plenty of indifferent you know pieces. I where- love
3: the E. Is their name EMA? Um, yeah. yeah, that that was so cute because it was like back and forth between yeah. the two artists. Do you? I mean, I didn't read the whole site obviously, but mm. do you, do you hope for a lot more of that kind of back and forth?
4: Yes, yes. That's another thing about the Talkhouse is that. Um, the only people who are allowed to comment on the pieces are the artists being written about. That's excellent. So that that's uh, it, it avoids trolling, but it also again makes something that's unique and interesting. Wait, like, so you've
1: actually reinvented the whole concept of the internet of the the comment section. You know, as um, another friend of ours, music journalist uh, Maura Johnson, always says, "Rule number one." Don't read the comments, mm-hmm. but and,
3: here you want to. They're really good. Well, yeah. you,
1: what what you've done is you've d- removed the democracy of it. You're yeah. an elitist, Azarad. <laughs> That's what it is. You're an elitist.
4: <laughs> well, it's more like, uh, yeah, trying to keep uh, some, you know the comments interesting and, and relevant and pertinent. Um, he, now you have this ringside seat to this exchange between t- two people who are talking about each other's music you never get that unless you're sitting in the tour van with the, the musicians. Let me tell you something. Democracy is what ruined the internet. <laughs> there are too many fucking people
1: involved. You know, was it Mark Twain that said, you know, you know um, anything with that many people involved can't possibly be worthwhile? <laughs> and it's true. as it has diluted it. No, I, I think we, we do need to focus and, you know, and I think this is good and there need to be the barrier to entry needs to be rebuilt so that I know when I go here that it's curated or aggregated or edited responsibly, right. and it's not a bunch of fake Yelpers or bogus Amazon reviews. It's you, and, you know, and the it's coming from the source. That's very very valuable.
4: Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That is. Yeah. We're trying to be, yeah, selective and, and have the anything that's put up on the site be. Of substance.
1: Now, now, how do you work when people write negative stuff? You know, ennui is
4: nice. I think there's a lot of that going around. Uh-huh. Uh, are we going to be seeing some feuds? It's going to be the Wild West? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's, you know, what's interesting. I think, you know, musicians are very wary of, you know, getting caught up in famous, you know, flame wars. Um, but again, there's – because these pieces have this certain baseline respect, I think even a different review could be responded to by the musician in a very polite and interesting way. And they could have a perfectly good exchange where no one got very heated or angry, but it was fascinating to hear. Like um, yeah, P- Peter Holzapple, who used to be – mm-hmm. who is still in DBs and played with R.E.M. and all this stuff. He's coming up with a review about Willie Nelson that I think – I hope Willie Nelson responds. It would be really, really interesting to who, hear them. Who are
3: some exchange. of your dream guests?
4: My dream guests. So – but I'm going to jinx it if I uh, –
1: <laughs> no, Jim the-
4: Morrison. <laughs> uh, okay. I, hear, I, hear he, I hear he's back. Morrison, <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard he's hot, sexy, and dead. <laughs> that, that would be generic. maybe we can
3: conjure him. We're going to have a psychic show soon. So, With Michael, I, oh,
4: just sort of channel. Wait,
1: wait, wait. Is that Joe the engineer?
4: That's me. Young, I, I have a question. Young
1: punk rocker, ask away.
4: So, my question for you, Michael, is: Are there any bands now that could be, maybe not your li- life, but anybody's life? It seems that this, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I, I. I found out about a lot of the bands that are in the books much later, but it seems that the the culture surrounding music uh doesn't exist everyone goes to the same places to find their music and it's a it's very disposable it's it's all about the hot new thing um and nothing seems to last for very long. you know everyone has their fifteen uh gigabytes of fame or whatever it is these days so is there are there is there any way for for bands to actually still have this resonance with the audience um no.
3: <laughs> no. uh, Crush, spirit no, Crusher I, Michael
4: Azerrad. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I keep, completely keep, agree. I completely uh, agree. Keep your day job at the Mike and Judy Show. <laughs> uh, well, uh, but I mean, I think people do still. I mean, very much connect with bands. There's certain people, you know, people still connect with certain songs. And it's very meaningful. Um, there's a band called No Age out in Los Angeles that's very DIY and runs a club, and uh, they're very inspiring, and they have kind of a tribe around them. Um, there, you know, rave culture is is very, um, you know, could could be your life. Um, yeah, you know, there are and, all kinds of and, and jam band culture
1: happened. too. As much as yep. I, you know, find a certain you know trappings of the hippie culture repugnant, you know, spearheaded by that fraud Stephen Hager, especially. Um, there, there are a lot of things that I really, really admired about that is because it was a community. They were together. It was DIY. It was definitely a tribe. It was definitely. Um, I think you know. It was a big tent, big tent policy. Come as you are. Um, the music is is questionable. You know, sometimes it can be very, very good. You know, a band like Galactic has certainly made good music. Dusky M- Martin Wood has certainly made some very good music. A lot of the other bands, not so much. Mm. But I, but to me, it resonated as you know, tribal punk rock. Yeah, and,
4: uh, mm-hmm. uh, metal is also st- uh, another community. Oh my god, very metal tight.
1: is the biggest music, and you know, a lot of people obviously in New York don't realize it because it doesn't come here the way it does to the Midwest. But metalheads are very loyal people.
4: Yeah. Yeah. identify
1: very strongly with the community.
4: Yeah, but I, I mean, I guess the question was maybe more about the, you know, the the indie scene. Yeah, things are, you know, it is very fly-by-night and disposable, although there are some, you know, perennial kind of flagship bands. I mentioned St. Vincent, Grizzly Bear, uh, Dirty Projectors. You know, there's some big bands that just keep, you know, maintain a following and, and people really do uh, invest themselves quite emotionally in, in that music and, uh, you know, it's that so that lives on um, and to a certain extent they conduct themselves in ways that you could maybe emulate in your, your own life, you know, following that our band could be your life kind of ethos. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's still, it's not impossible. It's music. Music is amazing. There's nothing like it. And, and, you know, it, even if it's fly by night now, I think it will find its level again.
1: It's what separates us from the animals.
3: <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you, Michael.
4: Uh, well, <laughs> thetalkhouse.com dot com. Yeah, that's right. That's you, you, well, you you won't find me there. I I edit the site. You will right. find lots of fine musicians writing about music there.
1: I'm very much looking forward to Buzz's talk about the new Stooges thing because yeah. okay, because I unfortunately I can't comment because I'm not part of that elite crowd, but it sucks.
4: I'm just going to say it right now. It sucks. What I've heard, anyway,
1: based on Uh. what I've heard of the couple cuts that um, have been uh, leaked onto the internet, the James Williamson stuff, it's very contrived. It's not the spirit of the Stooges, much like the weirdness is. Like, when do the Stooges have clever choruses? You know, it just seems wrong in a big fucking way. So there, I said it. So take that to Buzz. Mike Edison says the new Stooges record sucks. The James Williamson version is not all that in a bag of chips. There's a lot of Emperor's New Clothes going on there. Although the Ron Ashton version live was a fucking epiphany. It was possibly the finest rock concert I've ever attended in my life.
4: Yes, I saw them at South by Southwest that, that first year, and that, that was explosively awesome. Yeah, uh, But well, we'll, just, we'll just see what Buzz Osborne says. I cannot wait. I'm going to be looking for it on thetalkhouse.com. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much for coming, Michael. All right. For uh, Mike and Judy, Joe the Engineer, uh, happy 420, everybody. Fats Waller. See you next week. Hey, cats, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. I just left the
0: v Studios. Here we are in Harlem. Everybody Thanks for
2: listening to this program on Heritage radio Network.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at radio dot org. Heritage Radio Network is a non-profit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. If
0: you're a viper, I'm the king of everything. I got to go, got to go, got to go, got to be high before I swing. Let the bells ring, ding, dong, ding. If you're a viper, say you know you're high. When your throat gets dry